Previously on the J Luck Club. Hi, Jay. It's Betty, the one who used to hang out in your apartment on Channing all the time, but rarely when you were there. Well, you mentioned that you'd like to see some friends in the next few weeks, and I just wanted to see if you'd be interested in checking out Taiwan with Colin and me. Funny how the world works. I was actually thinking of you. Yes, you, Miss Betty. Yesterday, while on a train, the timing's a bit off, as I've set so many wheels in motion, which would make heading to Taiwan oh so difficult and complicated. But, 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 I am seriously going to consider it. I'll think about it over the next few days and figure out whether I can make it a reality. The next morning, I was out on the street looking for an open travel agent and an open internet cafe. Both things taking a while on this sleepy Monday morning. I found a ticket for a reasonable price. Run to a computer. Email to Colin. To be so close to making it all work, I was considering my options and about to log off when I got a message from Colin. We'd connected. A few days later, we were all together in Taiwan. Not only do I read you emails and provide personal journal entries as evidence, from time to time I call witnesses to the stand, and I cannot and will not tell my terrific tales of Taiwan without Colin and Betty. Welcome back to all of you, great members of the J Luck Club, presented as always by Honey Roasted T-shirts. I'd like to welcome you back to this very special part two episode. That's right, this episode is a continuation of the previous one, which, come to think of it, is how all these episodes are set up. I mean, I'm telling the story of my trip of 20 years ago as I wandered around parts of Asia with a backpack and a dream. But but this is the second episode covering a single email. Yes, the email which 20 years ago I cleverly titled the J Luck Club. Yes, we have some unfinished business, or should I say, as I formally call this meeting of the J Luck Club to order, we have some old business to address in the meeting agenda. But before we get to that, some announcements. First of all, I am J. Second. I am thrilled to have you join me as I recollect my journey of 20 years ago. Third, if you did miss the last episode, I highly encourage you to give it a listen. And you can find all episodes of the J Luck Club podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can even ask Alexa. But you can also find episodes at thejlucklubpodcast.com. Occasionally, I'll throw up a few pictures, extras, or journal notes over at honeyroastedtshirts.com. But however you choose to find this, I recommend you subscribe so you can always be sure to have the whole story. In our last episode, I shared with you an email I wrote with the subject line "The J Luck Club." I composed that bit of correspondence in an internet cafe one afternoon in the city-state of Singapore, where I paused briefly to take care of a couple of passport issues. I had filled up the pages of my passport with stamps, and I didn't have any space left. I gotta say, that's a great problem to have. Oh no! I've traveled too many places. 
while I was getting the extra pages at the U.S. Embassy, the fine folks there also helped me fix the lamination over my photo, which had started to peel up. So much of the time when I see someone else's passport, it's nice, crisp, clean, and shiny, almost straight from the factory. In some cases, it could be a new passport, or it could be that it's not used much, but often I see people storing their passports in protective cases or otherwise treating this precious document with the care and reverence it deserves. In my case, yeah, not so much. I mean, to be clear, my passport was one of the items that I would protect more than any other possession that I had on me during my travels. I figured that my passport and at least a bit of cash would be the items most worth protecting to get me through anything. Whereas the Russian propaganda books and the dirty underwear, well, that was less important. That was more replaceable. So while I did prioritize keeping my passport in my possession, I mean, in that sense I protected it, well, my passport was well-handled, well-worn, and well-used. The corners were a bit bent, and there's little dirt marks, and after spending a lot of time pressed close against my body, either in a secure pocket or money belt, it had a slight curve and shape to it. Anyways, I'm not saying that one should be careless and reckless in their treatment of their official identification, but I am saying that each time I looked at my imperfect passport, well, I smiled with a bit of satisfaction. That wear and tear was the result of a life well-traveled and well-lived. But back to Singapore. I was only in Singapore for a day, well, two nights, actually. It would have been just one night, but as I said, I felt I needed to get my passport issue resolved before moving on to another country. So while I had a great day, I had some amazing Indian food. It's really a place I have yet to explore, and I will just have to get back there again one day. But my first impressions of Singapore may not have been the best. Uh, wait, no, that's not it at all. I had good impressions of Singapore. What I meant was that Singapore may not have had the best first impression of me. So most of my trip at this point had been rough and rugged backpacking adventures. Hiking through dusty mountain passes, battling sheep and goats for trail supremacy, flip-flopping my way through the polluted streets of Delhi, or wandering around barefoot and half-naked on a gorgeous Thai island. Regardless of my specific outfit of the day, for the climate and activity, I certainly was not wearing my Sunday best. You know, it's funny, I actually had this conversation many times with other backpackers, us in our bare feet, ripped and unkempt clothing. Most of us Western long-term backpackers seem to go out of our way to pack our worst clothes. Well, anyway, after flying from Taiwan to Malaysia and then running to catch a bus, which I rode for several hours before crossing the border down to Singapore, well, at this point, I was fully back in backpacker mode as I stepped off the bus in my dirt-caked hiking boots and dusty backpack on a Singapore Saturday night. Unlike most of my arrivals and new destinations on the road, I was not swarmed with touts fighting for my business, assuring me they had the best guest house in all the land. This was refreshing, actually, and since I already had a place in mind that I wanted to stay, I was quite pleased that I didn't have the hassle of dealing with all of this. I wasn't quite sure exactly where I was, so at first I thought I'd just grab a taxi, but then I realized I didn't have any Singapore dollars, so I oriented myself and confidently decided to hike it to the guest house. I mean, let's be real. Singapore's not that big of a place. It ain't no Annapurna circuit. Anyway, as I walked my way to the hostel where I hoped to stay on this beautiful Saturday night, I was passed by men in suits, women in dresses, and a population which appeared to be out to wine and dine and dance the night away. I guess what I'm saying is I didn't exactly check the dress code at the border. So yeah, I was only in Singapore for a day and planned to go back for a proper visit at some point. But when I do, 
I'll probably pack a nicer outfit. But let's get back to the story, because Singapore was at the end of the email I read to you in our last episode, and we need to back the story up a bit. Back before I managed to get that last-minute ticket deal to get to Taiwan. Back before I started traveling through Malaysia with Julie. In fact, we need to go way back, a number of years, to move-in day my freshman year at the University of California at Berkeley. Go Bears! Colin. As I entered my dorm room for the first time, I met one of my roommates, a child actor who had starred in one of my favorite movies as a kid, and then soon after, the other roommate, whose first words to me were, don't take this personally, but I'm moving out as soon as possible. Okay, nice to meet you. But it was later that day, as I was unpacking and settling in, that my neighbor from across the hall wandered in. We got to talking, we began playing with a water gun that was in the room, and well, we became fast friends as we quickly dove to the ground, hugging the floor, listening to threats made upon our lives and families because, allegedly, some of the streams of water from that squirt gun went out the window and directly, allegedly, into the head of a very large and burly and quite disagreeable, if you ask me, man walking on the sidewalk below. The next year, Colin and I moved in together and spent the next four years as roommates. Betty. Betty is the woman who stole my roommate. Those are the facts. Indisputable. Some will argue that I left for Japan and Colin left for New York and that we would have separated anyways, but these are the facts. Colin used to live with me, and now he lives with Betty. You do the math. Anyway, I don't want to influence your opinion of this evil, conniving, and wicked human being, so I'll let her speak for herself. What I've been doing in my telling my story, and it's been a fun journey doing it, I'm just remembering and reliving, reflecting on what I did 20 years ago in that trip. And of course, I've got my little emails and my journal notes, and then my own vivid memories of things. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you guys is because I'm also curious about what's your memory. I have no agenda other than just to kind of ask you what your memories are and, and what you were thinking at the time and just see where it goes. I'll just start with, with you, Betty. If you're looking back on 20 years ago, how awesome and amazing and life-changing was it to be able to be in Taiwan with me? Just just go, your own opinion, go. <laughs> you know, I actually was really excited about that because there aren't that many American friends I'd be able to bring home who could communicate directly with my grandparents. So I thought it was a way to let them into my life in a, in a way that I hadn't been able to before. I liked, I loved it. It was, I have really fond memories of that, of that trip. When you were planning this trip to, to go to Taiwan, see your family and, and take Colin, at least in your email to me, you sort of called my bluff when I said, you know, I'm going to be more people oriented in my travel. But I, I'm, I'm just curious what you were thinking when you said, oh, hey, Jay's in Asia. We're in Asia. Let's see if we can meet up. What, what was your thinking or how did that come to be? <laughs> I can't remember if it was your it's one of your first trips to Taiwan, right? It might have been. Maybe it the might have been the, it was it was either the first or the second. So I, I, I'm sorry, I'm asking Colin about yeah. you know. So not to say that it was your first, Colin. I think it was. Yeah, was it your first? I think it was. That's it was right. your first trip to Taiwan? Yeah, two two thousand. Um, oh, two thousand one, two thousand one. Okay, yeah. So that was that was that was. I think that was my first trip. Firm. Hold on, I'm going to just come in and confirm. I do have my notes and you know to rely on. It was definitely Colin's first trip. So he was meeting you know your family for the first time in or the in Taiwan family. 
And I'm thinking under any circumstances, it's always, I mean, how many TV shows, movies and, and tropes is it of bringing the, the, the guy home to meet the family for dinner and how awkward that is? Yet you were bringing Colin across the ocean to Taiwan to meet aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents. Really, Betty, you were genius because by inviting me to be that sort of buffer <laughs> and other person there, it was, yes, you had Colin, that, that, all those nerves were there, but you also had the benefit of there's this other guy there. And that meant you didn't have to babysit Colin the whole time. You didn't have always all the focus just on you. You had that sort of distraction. So really, it was a brilliant and well-played plan. So the advice, I guess, if you're bringing somebody to meet the family, bring one of their friends too. It really works well. Yeah, yeah. It's like the twofer. Well, so I was going to say, uh, um, given that it was one of his first trips there, and I didn't want you to feel like you were being invited as just an instrument. <laughs> but there was there was definitely that. I mean, I, I thought about all the different things that would happen. My family happens to be a very involved kind of family. So they're going to want to plan every minute of our day. They're going to want to make sure that, uh, that he's comfortable. And that meant that I had to make sure that he was comfortable pretty much from morning until night. Um, I would have to translate everything. And I know Colin doesn't like being fussed over. And I, I just knew that that, that dynamic was going to be pretty tiring for all of us. So <laughs> yeah, I can't say <laughs> that I didn't consider you as a lubricant <laughs> in all of that. So yeah, I think your read on that is pretty accurate. I thought so. I remember there was a time where I think we were in a shopping district or something and you're with your cousin and you told us to go wander around by ourselves. I think it was mostly so that you wouldn't get hassled when you were bargaining because if you saw the two Americans, they'd be like jacking up the prices. But really, it also gave you a chance to have your Taiwan experience and Colin and I could do our thing too. Yeah, actually that was, I remember that moment very clearly because my cousin told me to told you, <laughs> to tell you guys <laughs> to go away because I don't know how to bargain. I mean, I would, it wouldn't even occur to me to that you would be at advantage or disadvantage because yeah, I'm so I, I terrible. I remember that too. I remember that. Yeah, but she was going to and, you know, I mean, it's enough. I would need to keep my mouth shut because I don't know what I'm doing and you all just need to disappear because just visually, you were going to ruin things. All right. So over anyway, so the trip, what what were some of your memories of our time? I think it was just only about a week or so, but I'm just curious what stands out all these years later. <laughs> it's it's going to be so specific. Um, there was only one time that we were not under the supervision of my immediate or extended family. And it was to go visit a, a childhood friend I had. I had known her since I was in kindergarten. She was already, I think, working at that point, postgraduate school, like established with her own condominium. And, you know, we, we went to stay with her, Yumi and Colin. I was so excited because my parents never, you know, my grandparents never let me go anywhere by myself. It's like, you know, it, when, it doesn't matter how old I am. In, in my 40s now, when I go back to Taiwan, they treat me, you know, like I'm I'm 12. Of course. I need to be escorted everywhere. You know, they call a car for me. They make sure that I have to call them when I arrive at my destination and all that. So just the fact that I was out in Taiwan as an adult, you know, that like we went out, we drank beers. Um, it was great. And we, we came back to her place, which was, you know, a very small, it's like a studio, I think. And... I remember we uh, we we showered, 
and you may have been the last one. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just hanging out in the living room. <laughs> and there was such a loud and sustained commotion coming from the bathroom. <laughs> like, like you think if something falls down to the ground, it would just happen in one shot. No, it was on and on. It was so long. You were just wrecking the bathrooms, and then you came out. <laughs> oh my god, you came out and you were drenched. I cannot deny it. Yes, that event happened. And and yes, I remember that too. It's not the only thing I remember from that trip. Unlike with you, it's not the only thing. It definitely happened. There was a slight crisis inside the bathroom. But you remember that as being the defining moment of the entire trip. All these years later, something about it says, yes, it was something. You know, good or bad, it was something. And it's remembered. And that's what we all want. Yeah, th- there was it between some sort of shelf and the shower curtain and something that <laughs> there was a collapse <laughs> i imagine like like a, a rube goldberg style sequence like something from a muppet movie going on in there there was a collapse there was an attempt to rebuild and, <laughs> and you know forgive and forget put it together and then it collapsed again and I mean, it shouldn't surprise me. Yes, it was a thing. It was a thing. Everybody knew it was a tiny thing. There's loud noise. I came out all wet and had to confess this is a mess and something has to be fixed. I think even later, everything was sort of propped up by your friends. But then somewhere in the middle of the night, I think something fell again. Because you know, <laughs> forgot about that. But again, I, I, I was not expecting on this call that, yes, this would be a topic. But yes, it's like, yes, it was a thing. It happened. and I should just own it. <laughs> Uh, well, Colin, what do you remember from the trip? You know, it's, it's, uh, what I remember from it was, it, it really amazed me that we were able to communicate so well and bring this all together over just email, you know? And again, like we didn't have, we didn't have smartphones, you know, it was like, if you wanted to use email, you had to go to a place that had email. It wasn't even like the Wi-Fi even. We couldn't just be like waltzing around with laptops, that kind of thing. So I remember on our end going into Betty's, you know, at her grandma and grandpa's apartment that had, you know, just like an old school desktop computer set up in the office that had probably had a dial-up modem. And oh, it was, yeah, we had to go upstairs to my aunt and oh, uncle's. Oh, that's what it was, your aunt and uncle's. Yeah. That's right, because they were mm-hmm. more technologically inclined. But it was yeah, still... My grandparents never had a That's kid. right, of course, that makes sense. That's right, because Betty's aunt and uncle and, and cousins lived in the same uh, building. But it was, it was dial-up, as I recall. And we, you know, we, we emailed you. And I, my memory of it uh, uh, from your end is that, you know, you would have been going to web cafes and, you know, that, they, that, that sort of equivalent. And just the idea... I feel like in my memory, we had a very short window of time to negotiate all of these details. It was like, but I remember just being so tickled that we managed to pull this all together so quickly over what then seemed like a fairly new technology, you know? I mean, and I remember going to the airport to pick you up, you know, and that was just a, just again, just a very tickling moment that it actually, that we had managed to work this out. And of course, for you, it was just, you know, a relatively short flight over <laughs> from... 
I was in Malaysia at the time, yeah. In Malaysia, right. I do remember going out and being uh, 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 chaperoned around. I remember the. I, I remember savoring the brief moments when it would could just be the you, me, and Betty, and maybe Betty's cousin or somebody like just sort of like our generation, sort of all out, out and allowed to do our own thing, and that was just very fun because that's the way I like to you know sort of experience a new city. Um, as as nice as it is, and as hosp- as 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 hospitable as Betty's extended family is, um, it can at times be a little smothering. Oh, absolutely, and and I think to be very clear, absolutely, Betty, your family was so wonderful to us, and I'll say to me, and very caring, very giving. But absolutely, I think as even you point out, Betty, it's constant, it's nonstop, and there's that point where we're, our natures are like, well, can we just be by ourselves for a while? <laughs> but but I mean, your family was so giving, and so I actually remember because I was reading through my uh, journal a little bit. We were all together, big family, you know, Chinese New Year something. I think in my note, it was, you know, we tried to escape like downstairs to play pool or something. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Like we thought just us, we would go down. And Betty said, huh, there seemed to be a lot of kids following us because then all the little young ones came with us. So we weren't quite on our own. But, you know, still, it was that feeling. Yeah, let's just just us here. I mean, you two were spectacles. Yeah. You- you you might because you've been traveling around Asia for a while, so maybe you were used to that. I don't know how Colin felt about that, but also the doubling up the, of the white guys, yeah. it just attracted a lot of attention. And so that was something for me to get used to, just traveling around with, you know, and being stared at a lot. You know, you brought up something interesting, Betty, because I didn't think about that as so for me, I'd been in Asia long enough that I was accustomed to the, oh, I'm standing out to a point where that that was my norm. But I've read for you growing up having Taiwan being a home and you wouldn't have had that attention. You'd be in sort of stealth mode. But by having Colin and I around, there was attention on you, even when we're on a train or in public, not just with your family. Yeah. And it was it was very odd, actually, to be in Taiwan and see how racist everyone was, because there was one trip we took to, um, I think it was Lu Gang. Mm which had um, a lot of, um, you know, older buildings and they, they, they preserved it as a historical site with really narrow brick paths. Do you remember? And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, windy, windy little neighborhood paths with, um, with uh, you know, very old style two-story homes on either side. Mm-hmm. We were walking out of the center of that tourist area and we were just walking and an older man... Uh, turned to me and said, Mei Mei hao bang o. And that means Mei Mei, well, first of all, Mei Mei is, is um, you know, uh, is talking down because right. that's little sister, right? right. So uh, little sister hao bang o, just like, you know, oh, good job. Good job, right. Good job, little sister. And mm-hmm. so, I, and I kept thinking about that. You know, I, I think maybe good job that your English is good enough to, mm-hmm. to, play tour guide. I mean, I, I don't know what he thought our role was, you know, real, my, mm-hmm. my role was relative to you. But that whiteness in Taiwan mm-hmm. also plays as superior, that somehow I get some accolades just because I'm, you know, walking two feet away from y'all. There was another instance um, that, that was probably a few years later when Colin and I were just there. We were in an electronic store. I don't know what you're talking about. And somebody, there were two people, a couple, a man and a woman, come, came up to him to recruit him to teach at their school. Um, I was away from him for a little bit, but I came back and, you know, I, I just kind of, you know, came in in the middle of their conversation and I realized what was happening. And I thought, you know, I speak English pretty well. <laughs> Nobody's 
coming to ask me. Nobody's recruiting you, yeah. Yeah, so they're not recruiting his English skills. They're Mm -hmm. recruiting his whiteness because that's the only thing that they could see. Mm -hmm. And it was just very interesting to see, you know, I mean, one of the things I love going to Taiwan for is that I get to not be racialized for a minute. But that's only because, you know, everyone looks the same. And And the minute you bring in you know, visible racial differences back in the mix. It's like, oh, it's the same dynamics are at work. And I had just never really experienced that in Taiwan. Mm. I remember, yeah, I don't, and I don't know if, if the two of us being together uh, made us more or less approachable uh, when Jay, when you and I were there, but we would definitely stand out. I, you know, I, I had definitely traveled around Asia, but even in, even in bigger cities in Japan, still there were times that I felt like being a spectacle. So yeah, even in a you know smaller town in Taiwan, with as you say two just white guys walking around the street market and and being and going places that just everyday places, not touristy sites. And you know, I mean, again, like you know, there's a big so the electronics u- right, exactly. Right. There's a big university in in the town where you're. Uh, in your grandma and uh, grandpa lived, you know, but like we weren't going to walk around the university, we were going to the electronic shop or just, yeah, going to buy, you know, DVDs and VCDs, you know, in a shopping district. But yeah, I remember we had to share a, a, a room, which worked out relatively conveniently. Cause again, like, as you say, I'm coming home to visit Betty's family for the first time and we're staying, you know, very graciously in her grandma and grandpa's uh, apartment. And so, but there's no way that Betty and I would be allowed to have a room together. Even though we had an apartment together and everyone knew that in the U.S. Yeah, but it was just, it was just unspoken. It was more like, yeah. So Betty uh, slept uh, in her grandpa's room and Jay, you and I shared probably the hardest bed I've ever slept on (laughs) in my entire life. Oh, I love those hard beds. It's just, it was like plywood with just a sheet of satin on top of it is basically it's good yeah. for your back yes i i do not love those hard beds no i i just i i just remember you know as much as i felt like you and i could probably get our way around because we're both comfortable traveling i think we could have you know stumbled our way through the day pretty well mm-hmm. but we had like the best of both worlds like we could we could sort of f- fudge along if we wanted to but we also knew that betty was there to kind of back us up and you know help us intermediate with the <laughs> with the world definitely and i think that for me that little uh, you know side trip i took for again that week from my greater trip i mean there was a couple of things one aspect was regardless of where we were i hadn't seen you guys in three mm-hmm. and a half, four years. So, I mean, th- there was that regardless of where we were. But the other thing was, I'm f- going wherever Betty and her family tell me to go. And I was happy to do that, too. Yeah. It, was, it was a little bit of that, you know, that's fine. Okay, you tell me, what are we going to see today? I'll follow. And it was kind of nice just to follow along and be given the the treatment, the service taken care of and and shown things that we may not otherwise have found. But the other thing is, we were in your grandmother's apartment. I was probably telling you this exact thing. We were all sitting around a table late at night. I don't know if people were asleep. It was just the three of us around a table. And I remember explaining this same phenomenon that I was feeling. It's like, wow, I feel semi-literate because I can walk around. And, oh, that's a bank. That's a restaurant. This is on the menu. This is beef because I could read the characters regardless of whether I could pronounce it or say it. And so I was just giving you examples. And I was just kind of looking around. And I said, oh, I, that says new bamboo. And you're like, wait, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? New bamboo. And there was like a calendar behind you on the wall. And we were in town, of, which translates to new bamboo. And I remember that moment because the look on your face, not that you doubt that, you know, I actually knew Japanese, but it was like there's a look in your eyes like, wait, why did you say that? <laughs> I had also never, 
I, I, I've forgotten the literal meaning of the town because you just say it, Xinzhu, Xinzhu, and for someone to say <laughs> bamboo is, is very odd. I was wondering, what was your memory of communicating with my, my apple, which is my grandma? Because what she, I remember her saying, and, and she passed away a, a couple of years ago. Yes. Um, but I remember her saying that you, your Japanese was not only good, but regional. And she said, because, you know, you had a, I don't know if it's a tag or, you know, you use the, um, you use a marker, hen. And I guess I didn't remember that, that I would have said that because in Western Japan um, or in the era of Japan, like around Osaka and kind of where I was saying that hen is definitely very notable. Usually if I were saying that, I, I would try and be conscious of, oh, if I'm speaking with people in Western Japan, I'll speak this way versus a different way. But that is interesting to note. But I, I can't tell you the specifics on the conversations, but I do remember talking with your grandmother and yeah, having like a real conversation. Okay, I'm not saying we debated politics and philosophy, <laughs> but I do remember it was like real conversation. And 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 then throughout the stay, we'd be able to talk. And then, you know, a few years ago, I was back in Taiwan and I did see your grandmother and it pleased me so much that I could see your grandmother. And obviously she was not in a state where she could really communicate very well. But, you know, I said, Hisashiburi, genki desu ka? You know, and, and I just, you know, I said, oh, I'm Betty's friend. Do you remember me? And it was it, it was a great moment that I could do that just because I knew that was a connection point we had. I remember that. I remember, yeah, she, I remember her, I mean, my view of it when at, at the time on that, the first trip in 2001, her being so tickled that, this this white person who had traveled with you know her granddaughter's friend from america boyfriend could speak to her in japanese and i felt like i was like oh i like i was like proud like okay i brought i brought somebody who could like actually have a connection you brought the right friend yeah exactly i brought the right friend who could show like somebody who could make a connection it wasn't like Oh, here's another person who I can't talk to. It's like, oh no, he can actually talk to you, and and I can't even speak Japanese, but he can speak to you, and uh, and it was just, and it was just really Betty's grandmother. It wasn't, you know, really anybody else. In her well, my family. grandpa yeah. had had a stroke at that mm, point. It right. was not really able to communicate. So yeah, it was just my grandma at that point. My grandma, could, my grandfather could understand a lot. So I think you could have mm -hmm. communicated with him. It just would have been different. And uh, and my grandma, I you know I still think about that, and that that really meant a lot to me, Jay, because my I mean this this may be just the nature of, of living a a, a you know, life as an immigrant that your life is split in two and they don't cohere and <laughs> in in any any sort of meaningful way. Um, so you know on occasion when Colin comes back to Taiwan with me, or if I have like a cousin visiting us in the US, they, they, you know, they mix a little bit, but usually not across two generations like that. I don't think that, you know, any of my friends have had any meaningful conversation with my grandparents because it's just too inaccessible, mm -hmm. you know, both directions. So that's, and, and I'm very close to her, you know, she, she raised me until I came to the US. So I, I really think of her more like a mom in a lot of ways. It's nice that, you know, you're my only friend, actually, who's um, had a conversation with her, who's not, of course, you know, native to Taiwan. Well, and then I guess going back to the fact that, you know, when you were bringing Colin and me there, it was a little bit of showing your Taiwanese family a bit more of your life. Uh, you also chose well because it reflected well on you. So I think, you know, you... <laughs> You're welcome once again. Uh, we made you look good. 
I love the, the experience in Taiwan. I definitely remember great food, of course, being the family. I remember, you know, some of the actual sites that we saw of, you know, oh, here's where they kicked out all the Dutch that took over, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, so yeah. I remember all those uh, touch breast street, which was a little disappointing in the event. <laughs> but, you know, so I remember those things. But to be honest, a lot of it for me was seeing you guys. Colin and I, we hadn't seen each other for three, three and a half, however long it had been. And so probably it helped with your situation, Betty, because it allowed you to do your stuff while we were just, we were happy to sit in a corner, just talk because we had so much to catch up on. And I, I definitely remember there were some times when we would just, especially with like those times when we would go hang out, like with, you know, with the cousins or Betty's, you know, older friends who she got to catch up with. And we would just go sit in a restaurant. I remember you and I would just be sitting on one end, just making each other, just making each other laugh over just whatever stupid thing. <laughs> And occasionally, you know, Betty would might look over at us and be like, okay, you guys are okay over there? All right, we're just going to keep catching up. And But yeah, I hadn't seen you, you know, in I think three years uh, that Betty and I had been living in New York prior to then. And we had just come back to California that year before. And you had, and then you had been... And then I've been traveling. Yeah. Traveling the whole time. Yeah. So it had been, oh, it had been a while. Remember the, the, the massage day, Colin? Oh my God, I forgot about that. I, 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 I shouldn't say I forgot, but like it, it had been, it's been a while since I thought about that. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, that's part of the, part of the, part of the deal of traveling to Taiwan is, you know, Betty's family, Betty's mom in particular, uh, who I love and she's just fantastic. She's great, but she really takes it upon herself to go out of her way to, to, to find things to schedule for us to yeah, do. Yeah, that's right. Your agenda is, is yep, packed. Yep. And, you know, for better or for worse, all I need to do is just wake up and I'm kind of just taken from one thing to the next and, oh, mealtime? Okay. Oh, what do we do? All right. Okay. And then, you know, my I take a shower at the end of the day and go to sleep. But Betty's mom had arranged a massage for us. She had asked, I think, all three of us, like, oh, there's this place they do massage, but they also do, like, facials and beauty treatment. It's, you know, very holistic, which which is not uncommon here, but is more common, I think, for sure, in Asia, kind of just the all-in-one body care place. And so, yeah, we're like, okay, that sounds good. You know, I mean, I'd had shiatsu before. I'd had Swedish massage. You know, Jay, I, I'm pretty sure you have as well. And Betty, uh, Betty opted not for the massage. I did, no, I did a facial because they didn't have enough staff. Oh, was that what it was? Okay. Because if we were going to put both of you right. massage, I needed to do something else. So Jay, that's right. You, so Betty's mom booked Jay, you and me for the massages. We went into the room and it looked like for a minute, like we'd walked into like an S&M studio <laughs> or something because I was like, okay. But you know, it was, it was clean and brightly yeah. lit. Like I wasn't, it wasn't seedy, but there were two tables side by side. And then there were rails on the ceiling, <laughs> which should have been like the first indication that something was going to go. And so we each got on the table and I remember it being no joke, one of the most intense physical experiences <laughs> of my life. Just, it was, it was intense on our backs, and they the rails on the ceiling were because at one point they got up mm -hmm. the, the two the, the masseuses and stood on our backs, walked on us. They needed the railings to hold their balance. It was. It was rough, and like, and they were, you know, they would they would ask us, "Is it okay?" And I'd say, "Oh, you can back up a little, maybe." It's just a little <laughs> intense, and that I, I, it was a little bit of a blur. Parts of it felt good, 
parts of it, I it just it was like my fight or flight instinct had kicked in. I I remember you and I, we literally had bruises on our backs afterward. There was bruising. There were two just yellowish rails on either side of our spines afterward. Man, that was an intense experience. I think the good feeling from it or any any pleasure from it was the Oh, it's over. And those are the moments of, oh, the pain is dumb. Oh, no, more pain. Oh, it's done. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. It's done. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's different now because I think that the, the way massages are done in the West where it's for comfort, mm. that's definitely imported into Taiwan and it's become a lot more popular. Like you can just go in, you know, get your feet rubbed for 20 minutes and and get out. But it, it, at one point, when you talked about massage, it was medicinal. I mean, they were opening <laughs> up your meridian. Yeah, yeah. They were, they, they were in there. They had like martial arts training a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that it, they might have been yeah, trained in some enhanced interrogation techniques too. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, at least, at least we had a nice hard bed to go lay down on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about yeah, I I I should yeah, I shouldn't say forgot, but it's uh, maybe I put it out of my memory is a better way to say it. It's been a while since I thought about that. Repress that memory. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, definitely an amazing trip and and I'm definitely glad that uh that it worked out so well for you, Betty. That I I'm <laughs> But I do think it was great. I mean, I know where I was in my long travel. Uh, it was great for me to see people, that connection point of, oh, people from my past and my future, because that's where you committed to giving me some couch space when I returned. That's right. <laughs> Which I also love because I remember from the get go when I arrived and was able to sleep on your couch. My goal was, OK, I got to get out quickly so it doesn't become some bad sitcom where I'm that friend who just... <laughs> you know, keep staying there and is like, oh, he's the guy on the couch for a week, <laughs> two weeks and two months and a year or so. Um, so that really helped with my homecoming, actually. Going back to the States after being out of it for four years was crazy. Mm -hmm. And so being able to come back and uh, be in your home uh, in, in Berkeley as I got reacclimated and started up this new life or whatever, uh, as a sort of immigrant of sorts of myself arriving on these shores <laughs> it was a huge help. So I definitely appreciate that too. We can have a whole episode on, on that. I, I remember playing, we had a lot of toys when you were staying with us. We had yes. that whole Lincoln log set. Okay. Can I tell you the Lincoln log story? I'm going to cut you off because so <laughs> as we mentioned, uh, you know, in the email you sent me, you made the comment like, Oh, I don't know how we didn't really hang out much in our Berkeley days. It's true. When you and Colin were dating it, like I was also busy with other stuff. So we didn't actually hang out you and I much, but, but then I remember when I, we were back, it was one of my first weekends back. We went to brunch somewhere, went to some old salvage secondhand shop, found a thing of Lincoln logs and, and you guys bought it. And we're like building with Lincoln logs in your apartment. And I'm like, Betty is so cool. <laughs> Betty's the kind of person who's just going to buy this. Let's just buy some Lincoln logs and build them. And so we built all afternoon. <laughs> yeah. All afternoon we're building with, with the Lincoln logs and Mount Baskey, the little laundry basket that was Mount Baskey. I think we have a picture of that. Mount Baskey. I love that. That was so great. I said, man, I, I like Betty, but she is so cool. And then at the end of the day, you're like packing it up and talking about how this is going to work well with, you know, the, the kids and, and you know, and 
<laughs> oh right she didn't buy that for us to play with exclusively she bought that for work she allowed us to play with it but of course she didn't just buy it but oh i misunderstood i thought i thought we were just you know Young 20-somethings buying Lincoln Logs to play with. I thought we were just Lincoln Logging on the on the weekend. <laughs> Memories. A significant part of this whole J-Luck Club audio journey includes me sharing my memories and recollections of my travels. In many cases, the events and moments are crystal clear in my mind, and all my senses can truly believe I am still in that place and time. Some events seem to have been permanently etched in my brain from the moment they happened, and I imagine others are so vivid due to the reinforcement of writing it up in an email or telling and retelling the tale over the years. Still, there's plenty that's not so readily accessible to my memory, but something in my journal or a a picture or conversation with a friend who was there will trigger the memory and it will all come flooding back. And then there are moments which are more fuzzy, more of a blur, and the details are almost non-existent. So setting aside whether or not my memories are document-worthy accurate, it's also interesting to see what others who were there may remember. It's possible we may remember details differently or argue over accuracy, but more often it's just we remember different things, different events, details, or parts of the experience. In this podcast, I am telling my story. They're my memories and my perspective. But I realize that these other characters in my story, well, they have stories of their own and memories of their own. When I have the opportunity to chat with people who I was with in those days, it's not just about the nostalgia and reliving the good times with friends, it's, it's also that I'm fiercely curious about their memories of the same time and place. What do they remember? What stands out? For me, I think back to that trip to Taiwan and remember the food, the family, and my winning streak at Mahjong. For Betty, the first thing that springs to mind is that I destroyed, allegedly, her childhood friend's bathroom in a mysterious, inexplicable, and a very loud and sustained event, the details of which have been protected more than the secrets of Area 51. And for those of you who want to know more of what may or may not have allegedly happened in that bathroom, I'll say this. I cannot recall anything that may or may not have happened in that bathroom. Independent versus Hosted Travel One of the more obvious ways that my trip to Taiwan was different from the rest of my travels was that I was hosted. I was a guest and taken care of from airport pickup to drop-off. Very different from arriving alone and clueless in a new place, knowing no one, no command of the language, no plans, no place to stay, trying to figure out how to navigate this foreign land and what to do with myself. My time in Taiwan was a very different type of travel, with some advantages and disadvantages depending on one's purpose for the trip and the experience one is hoping to have. Hmm, it's been a while since I had a purpose rant. Well, you can insert your own here. I think you can imagine what I'll say. On the one hand, you don't need to be concerned with the hassles of communication barriers, navigation, transportation was covered after all, and heck, even itinerary decisions were made for us. This was not only wonderful because Betty's family was kind and giving and hospitable and extremely welcoming, we were certainly comfortable, but because we went places and did things that I probably wouldn't have done had I been traveling on my own. We went to towns off the tourist trail, we met people and ate in restaurants and visited sites that would likely never have gone to if I were, again, just alone in the country. So, in short, we had experiences we wouldn't otherwise have. Visiting a friend or a relative in a new-to-you country, or even an unfamiliar city or town in your country, has tremendous benefits for a great experience. But some of the elements I so enjoy about travel are the challenge and the sense of discovery. 
It's part of the journey to discover and explore a new place. There are many unknowns, and there certainly can be lots of frustration trying to figure out money, food, transport, or where anything is and what it all means, but that's part of the adventure. And successfully navigating a new city, getting oneself oriented, mastering the local practices, yeah, it's a satisfying achievement. Some of you may remember how I described my time exploring the temples of Angkor and feeling like Indiana Jones, especially when I was all alone, climbing over ruins of some far-out temple. Oh, and by that I mean far-out as in distance-wise, but I suppose you could all say, far out, man. Both meanings apply. Of course, the structures in Siem Reap would have been no less impressive and awesome had I been part of a group or on a well-hosted and pampered visit, but certainly part of the fun for me was being more or less alone and figuring it all out. Before I offend any friends and family that I have or will visit somewhere in the world, that is not to say I don't enjoy hosted-style visits or appreciate when a friend shows me their town and country, and I get to explore it through their eyes. I mean, I treasure those kinds of trips too. And in fact, this goes back to the purpose. When I went to Taiwan, it actually was less about me wanting to see specific things in Taiwan, but me wanting to see Colin and Betty. And I was up for whatever I saw and whatever experiences I had. And it was amazing. So I do treasure those kinds of trips. You know, I think back to various definitions of travel, You know, one of the travel experiences I enjoy is the independence, jumping into the uncertainty and unknown, facing challenges, figuring it all out, and discomfort may be an element of that. That is often a huge part of my purpose in travel. However, it's not the only thing I, and there's many times it is about the people and and seeing it through their eyes and, and having those experiences too. For those of you who listened to my conversation with Dan and Justin, you may remember we talked about what has changed in travel over the past 20 years. Of course, the advent of the smartphone has been a game changer, and you can have so much information and assistance in your pocket. But one thing that occurred to me, at least personally, is that as is typical as one goes through life and their network of friends and grows, I'm fortunate enough to have good connections in places all over the world. And I didn't have this 20 years ago. Many of these good friends are in countries to which I have not yet traveled but still intend to go. So of course, in some of the countries I went to 20 years ago, I didn't have the option of hosted travel. I had no connection to the country, so I dove in independently. Now, that's a bit different. Interestingly enough about that now, and this is where I'm getting to, in some of those countries where I have friends, I almost don't have a choice to go there independently because if I did go to those countries or those places and chose not to contact my friends and they found out about it later, yeah, they probably wouldn't be my friends anymore. Again, I'm not saying that these aren't amazing experiences and opportunities. So, of course, the trade-off is I would get these amazing experiences I couldn't have if I had no previous connection to the country. On the other hand, it does remove some of that independent adventure that I so craved and enjoyed about my travels. Wait, 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 hang on. I think I'm just going to stop this line of discussion because you probably get my point and it almost sounds like I'm complaining. Oh no, I have too many friends in all these great places around the world. Poor me. It's kind of one of those oh no, my passport is filled up with too many stamps, what am I going to do, kind of problems. So I think I'll just let this one go. Moving on. Betty's experience. So we talked about the fact that bringing the boyfriend to meet the family is enough of a stress-filled experience under even the most simple of circumstances. You know, it's the stuff of TV and movie plots. But this was not just the merging of two of Betty's circles. You know, it's not the same thing as when uh, the, the friends you play hockey with and your pub trivia team get together and you wonder how they'll get on. Betty had two lives, two worlds she was bringing together. 
Betty had her life in the United States filled with those friends, schoolmates, co-workers, and cats, but also her family and her life in Taiwan. These two worlds separated not only culturally, but geographically, a large ocean keeping them separate. Most of Betty's life had been moving between these two worlds, and on this trip, even though she was just bringing her boyfriend and a sidekick, these worlds were going to cross over in a way they hadn't before. I can only imagine what Betty may have been expecting leading up to this trip, but during our time, I do remember Betty saying that Colin and I had met more of her family than anyone else. But more than just the intersection of two worlds, and whatever expected attention from the family and friends towards the two guys she brought with her, was that Betty experienced Taiwan differently. The spectacle of Colin and I drew attention wherever we went, and this also brought attention to Betty, which she likely hadn't experienced in the home of her childhood. Colin, I assume, expected to have attention focused on him. I also expected it, but having been an outsider for the past four years in Asia, this was my everyday and I didn't think much of it. For me, even after three years of living in Japan, where I was comfortable, I'd made it a home, and it was my everyday normal, that didn't mean I wasn't still a novelty for the Japanese. My last week in Japan, when I went to my local grocery store, I still had kids, and some adults, looking in my shopping basket to see what kind of food the foreigner buys. Anyway, Betty experienced Taiwan in a different way because of her association with us, and she saw some attitudes of Taiwanese people which may have always been there, but she hadn't witnessed or noticed. So much of me talking about my travels is talking about entering a new and foreign land, but on this trip for Betty, the land was not new and foreign. In fact, it was one of her homes, after all. Yet she experienced and saw it in a very different way. This is a topic I'm going to table for now, but spoiler alert, I'm going to come back to this in a future episode. Anyway, since I can't really speak for Betty, I'll shift to what I can speak to. I am thankful for the hospitality and care I received from Betty's family, they were so kind and generous and welcoming to me. A few years ago, I was back in Taiwan, and I was able to see many members of her family again. See, you can't go to a country and not let them know you're there or you'll be in big trouble from above. I was able to see her grandmother again, which I mentioned, and though her grandmother was not in a state where she could really communicate, I certainly laid the Japanese on thick with her, and it really touched me that I could see her again. And of course, I have to thank Betty for that invitation of 20 years ago. It was an amazing trip. Betty, I am forever grateful. But that still doesn't make up for the fact that you stole my roommate. Well, that's it, folks. My trip to Taiwan. The trip which inspired the subject line, the J-Luck Club. Wow. We did it, folks. We made it. It's all come together. It's like we've tied everything up. This is the day I left Malaysia for Taiwan. I left the Wanhai guesthouse in Penang and had my wardrobe malfunction at the airport. 20 years later, I'd recount in Zip Flash Zip episode number one of this show. Check it out. I mean, we did it. We made it. I don't know, folks. It, it almost feels like a series finale. I could just end things where they all began. There's something poetic about that. But no, dear members of the J-Luck Club, I have more to say. That's right, there's more to this story. 
And it's a love story. That's right, dear listeners. In our next episode, I fall madly in love with Indonesia. For some pictures of my New Year's bowling in Taipei, head over to honeyroastedtshirts.com. Once again, a big thanks to Honey Roasted T-Shirts for their support. Honey Roasted T-Shirts, they don't make T-Shirts, but if they did, you know, without any trace of doubt, they'd be Honey Roasted. Are you a member of the J-Luck Club? Would you like to be? If so, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and visit the aforementioned honeyroastedtshirts.com to check out more. And though my story continues in Southeast Asia, that doesn't mean we can't all enjoy thinking back to the Nepali dish of Dalbot. You can even go download or stream the Dalbot Diddy, available on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, or just Google it. You'll see it. If you listen to this podcast, or if you read the emails or visited the blog, or maybe you've heard me tell that story about the time I fought off an alien invasion when a portal to another universe opened up inside the bathroom of Betty's childhood friend in Taiwan... Oh, wait, forget that. I'm not supposed to talk about that. Well, you just might be a member of the J-Luck Club. Thank you for staying to Journal Extras. I won't read anything from my journal this time, but letting you know this is when I transitioned to a new journal. I'd filled up my old one. I know. Real problems. Passport pages filled up with stamps. Journals filling up with too many writings. Okay, so, well, anyways, thank you guys for... Actually, hang on, I might be hearing something. Yeah, maybe you do need... Yeah, we would need to put on our headphones then, huh? Where where does the headphone plug into? Well, we'll just use the headphone jack. Don't call her Jack, her name's Betty. (laughs) Surely we could use the splitter. But this all feels very fancy to me. I've never... Well, Colin's never let me play with the real mic before. Are you? I just realized I brought in the crunchiest snacks, <laughs> which I will refrain from eating. I, I am not used to podcasting. That's true. As you yeah, can these see. are these are chocolate. <laughs> We do. We live pretty close to the train tracks these days, so it's actually tooting its horn in the back. Nice. That's good. That's good realism. Is that well, a problem? Not at all. And here's why: I think people need to like on like business calls and stuff like that. People like need to stop apologizing for their dogs or something in the background. Like this day and age, no. Betty and the woman sort of arrived at like an egg sandwich type of thing. And we each had one. It was so good that we each had another one. And I remember the woman, I remember the woman being so tickled 
that she's like, oh, these guys aren't just humoring me. Like, they're ordering another one of these little concoctions that I've just created. Um, and that was fun. Again, I just like the fun moment of making it our own non-standard trip. Yeah. I mean, I remember amazing food on all levels. Betty, that was the first time, actually, one of the night markets was the first time I ever had boba tea. That was the first time ever. Really? Yeah. <laughs> 